this week on the Sacred Changemakers podcast, I've got a different kind of episode for you because, well, I was recently asked to speak on the 100% Human podcast with podcast host Karen Allen. Now, Karen and I have known each other for a few years and our work is really aligned. So, of course, I said yes. And last week we recorded that interview. And here's the thing. Karen and I had a, a riveting conversation. It was a true dialogue that I really wanted to share with all of you. So here's what this is. You're going to get a sneak peek before it is published on the new 100% Human podcast in July. So I just want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Karen for allowing me to do this and share this with all of you. So before we get into the conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Karen, because you're going to hear quite a bit from both of us in today's episode. Now, Karen is a TEDx speaker and founder of 100% Human. In her previous career, she, um, she worked in HR and talent management. However, when she experienced an unexpected tragedy, the trajectory of her life changed forever. Now, she was really determined to rebuild her life, and Karen discovered mindset habits and lifestyle changes that helped her find her way back to a whole heart. Now, this inspired her to help others jumpstart their own mental strength training. Now, Karen's client list includes AT&T, Kaiser Permanente, Travelers Insurance, NBC's Golf Channel, HubSpot, Universal Orlando Parks and Resorts, Sprint, and many, many more. Her work has been featured in Forbes, SHRM Magazine, on Good Morning America, MSNBC, and many others. She's also a regular contributor to Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global Community. Okay. So before we get into um, the actual conversation I had with Karen on her podcast, uh, I just want to give a word out to our sponsor. So today's episode is sponsored by Coaches Business School, the world's leading business training for coaches and consultants, helping them to succeed in business so they can make a meaningful difference in our world. You can go to coachesbusinessschool.com to get the tools, strategies, and frameworks you need to enjoy growing your business in a way that is profitable, predictable, and purpose-driven. A big thank you to all of our coaches, because without them, this podcast just wouldn't be possible. Okay, so next you're going to hear Karen take the reins as we dive into our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. This episode has to be broken out into two episodes because Jane, we are about to go in. I, I am looking forward to this for many reasons, but you are a mentor of mine. We have developed a deep um, resonant relationship in the short amount of time that we've known each other uh, over a year, but it feels like a lifetime. And I am constantly energized by your presence. So I know all of the things we're going to unpack here is going to go beyond, you know, 30 minutes. So we'll make sure <laughs> to put this in too. But Jane, I just want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Karen, honestly, when I say it's my pleasure, I truly mean it. It really is. And ditto to everything you've just said. I love you too, my friend. Yes. <laughs> well, I think the first uh, point of connection for us is the hardships that we've had to endure that most people from the outside would look in and say, 
I literally have no idea how you could get through that. That seems unimaginable. And I would love for us to start there with your journey. You, uh, several years ago, were diagnosed with an illness that the doctors did not believe you would ever overcome. Can you give us the backstory of that, that pivotal, pivotal uh, life moment? Sure. So it was actually, can you believe it? It's going to be 20 years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is when I feel really old. But yes, it was uh, in 2001 when I gave birth to Jacob. So it wasn't uh, an illness so much as an injury, a medical injury that, that happened during the birth. But the problem with the injury was that it was misdiagnosed at the time. So I had a birth and ended up having to have an assisted delivery. Um, and basically, I mean, to cut a long story short, um, no, I had an epidural anesthetic, which a lot of women who've had children will be familiar with, but nobody managed my bladder through that process. And I was in labor for an awfully long time. And then after we'd um, delivered the baby and, um, you know, it was kind of a, about two or three hours after and they, and the pain relief was wearing off. That was when I started to be in this excruciating pain. And the upshot of that was they took two and a half liters of urine out of my bladder. And just to conceptualize that for you, think of like two one liter bottles of soda plus another half. Mm. Think how heavy they are to carry, right? That's what was in my bladder. And the good news was my bladder didn't burst. Mm. But the bad news was that nobody picked this up as something that was out of the ordinary. It was written in my records, but nothing remedial was done about it. Mm. The next day, well, from there on, um, I felt huge relief after the pain had subsided, but there was still some pain and I couldn't urinate. And unfortunately, I was in a rural part of England and um, nobody on the medical team picked it up I was sent home I was able to urinate a little bit but not much and then went through literally a whole well it was 11 months before I found myself and it was 11 months of kind of going to the doctors and being kind of sent home and said you'll be fine everything's okay you know there's nothing really wrong with you every birth is different because this was my third child as well and then realizing that I did think there was something wrong and I kept going back, but I was busy at work. I had my own very, very successful consultancy business. So it wasn't until I was working in London that I collapsed in front of, literally collapsed in front of a board of directors of a global company, you will all know the name of, and got rushed into a London hospital where I got diagnosed. Then what followed was two or three years of opiate medication. I ended up in a wheelchair because I couldn't walk. My knees couldn't hold me because not because my knees didn't work or my legs didn't work, but because the pain was so bad, it would just take my knees from under me. Mm -hmm. So I would just fall. So I was in a wheelchair because I just didn't have the strength to walk. I was bedridden for three years and eventually in, I can't remember what year it was. I think it was 2003 to 2004, I was given the terminal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And um, that was, uh, well, just as anyone can imagine, it was like soul crushing. Mm -hmm. I was literally, I paid to go and see the top neuro urologist at Imperial College London, who was, let's just say she was a really quite detached mm -hmm. <laughs> lady. And she actually, I went there thinking, I want to get off the opiate medication. I was on like morphine, 
fentanyl, lithium, all these really horrible drugs that meant I wasn't in my life and I wanted my life back. Mm-hmm. And, and basically she turned to me and she said, Jane, I think you're in denial. You're never going to come off these drugs. You need to go home and make the most of the time you have left with your children. Mm-hmm. I think you've got less than 10 years from the date of your original injury, where, which happened in 2001, which put my death somewhere around 2011. And here we are. It's 2021. (laughs) So I never knew. So here's the thing. If there's anybody listening that is going through something like this, I want you to know this. I want you to know it was like being plunged into a black hole, like a dark pit where it was almost like nobody could reach me. I fell to pieces. I did. I completely fell to pieces. I didn't know how to cope with this terminal diagnosis. Not only that, neither did my friends or family. And you know, the sympathy is lovely, but everybody just wants you to be better. And so in the end, I had to turn my back on modern medicine and try to pull together a team of people that were at the time, those, the, the things I was calling on was very unorthodox in many ways, like fringe medicine. And I turned to oriental medicine and a number of different things like body work and chiropractic and every, everything you can think of. I tried some things worked, some things didn't, but thank goodness I am here where I am today the final part was living in a a warm climate and I went I took my entire family to live in Florida which really I think accelerated my 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 kind of healing and so so happy to say I still manage the condition I'm not cured I still manage elements of the condition but I'm not on any pain meds and basically I am free now and you know it may be that at some time it comes back and bites me but for now I'm just enjoying every minute of life because it feels like borrowed time (laughs) it really does (laughs) Yes. I mean, what I also hope people take away from that is many times we trust professionals, especially when it comes to healthcare, uh, to give us a diagnosis and we walk away that that is hard, concrete truth. And that's what we have to accept. Um, And while yes, there will be those stories where what they diagnose or what they say will be the end result proved to be true, but there are a number of stories and yours is an example that you can fight for your life and you can change that end result and you can go beyond the diagnosis or the suggestions for treatment and find your own. And what Mm -hmm. I get from your story is honestly a moment that, you know, I lived through is I'm faced with two choices. I can either give up, I can take this as it is, or I can get up, which in your case may not have been the physical get up right away, but it was pulling yourself out of that dark space enough to look for other options, other possible solutions, and to put yourself, you know, around people and to search for those solutions with hope instead of uh, giving up and just living with despair. It's a, it's a very Mm. tough choice, you know, and it's not one that you make. And then you're like, Oh, but now I feel great. You actually have to make it over and over again, you have to make that choice sometimes moment by moment because you could be fighting for your life. Yeah. And here's the thing that I've learned. And one of the things I wonder about, because everything that I learned during that time is so relevant today, right now in this world that we're all in, because here's what I noticed Like you said some language there that in a way I would challenge Uh, when I was fighting for my life, I was getting worse. 
Mm. Everything was going downhill. The minute I surrendered and accepted where I was, because I didn't want to be an invalid. I didn't want to have a terminal diagnosis. I didn't want this injury. I was fighting it to be healthy. And I actually found that to be quite a waste of energy now looking back. I didn't know at the time it was, but looking back, that's how I see it. What made the difference was believing I was well. Living from a place of wellness, even when I was really ill and in so much pain, my left cheek didn't have any pain at all. So I chose to focus my attention. It sounds stupid, but I, I chose to focus my attention on my left cheek because it had no pain. And I thought if I can live from there and I can fully accept where I am, who I am and what's happening within and around me, I can open to the uncertainty of where I am, because that was the truth. The truth wasn't that I had a terminal diagnosis. That was just what somebody else believed of me. Yes, they had all this medical knowledge and everything, but it was still their belief, their story. And what I realized was the truth was, I actually didn't know, right? And so I had to step into the uncertainty. It was almost like, and for me, this was where edge walking really came in. I felt like I had to go beyond my own edges, beyond what I believed was possible. And I didn't have to go to the horizon. I just had to take that first step. Because when I took that first step with that intention that I didn't know, and therefore, could I create a different story for myself? Could I create a different ending than what everybody else believed was going to happen? The truth was I didn't know, but I actually also had nothing to lose. Yeah. And I see this a lot in change because, you know, I work in change. I've worked there for like three, over three decades now. And I notice we get to a place where we want something different. But most of us don't move into action until we're certain we mm -hmm. can achieve the outcome. Mm -hmm. Whereas what I've learned is that's not the way to open fully to change. The way to open is really to be completely uncertain, to know you don't know, and to step forward anyway. And I think that's so relevant in the time yeah. that we're in today. I want to unpack uh, what you mentioned about acceptance. That's really, that was a, I had to accept things that I was not ready to accept obviously, right. Yes. Suddenly losing Richard, you know, yeah. losing my job, all of these things. Um, and so I remember having this revelation that acceptance does not mean everything is okay. Yeah. I'm fine with this. That's not what it means. Acceptance is acknowledging your starting point. Yeah. Is saying, yeah. I realize that I'm here as you did. I realize that I'm here. This doesn't feel good. And yes, you know, fighting for your life and, and, and that does feel like, um, that word feels like resisting where you are, but I also see that as taking action into the unknown mm. because you have acknowledged that starting point and you realize, I don't know what tomorrow brings. Isn't it funny that so many people, myself included until I became more conscious, <laughs> we would wrestle with life because of the expectations that we place on it. Yeah. When truly we don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't even know what the next five minutes will bring. Yeah. And 
that because we try to control so many different aspects of life. And honestly, I think people do it with, you know, good intentions. I'm going to go to school so I can secure this job. I'm going to, you know, take this job so I can get this home. Right. So we think we are, are making plans with this controlled mindset, believing that and expecting it will end in this particular result. When, if we could just start by accepting that life is uncertain, then it gives you the freedom to make the most of the moment that you're in, even if it is a tough moment, even yeah. if it is challenging, it, you can still be fully present and do what you need to. I know you talk about a lot about being in the moment. And so my question is knowing your background, and we'll get into that you do a lot of energy work. Were you doing that work during this time? And is that what helped you to live in the moment and make the most of it? Or did that uh, come from the hardship? Did that new knowledge and awareness come through this challenge? You know, it's a really interesting question. And as you were speaking, I was like, yeah, in my head, I was like going, yes, yes. And I have some, so let me answer your question first. I was already an energy healer and spiritual healer, right? But that was what I did in my, like, that was my free time. That was my fun, Mm. (laughs) right? And I'd never used it on myself so much and I'd never really used it professionally. So what I realized in this time was I had an awful lot of knowledge. I'm also a psychologist in the in the UK, right? My first degree was majored in psychology. And so like I know a lot about the brain and the mind and the way it works and stuff. And so I found myself in this space where I had all this knowledge in my head, but I hadn't taken the time, Karen, to really learn how to live into that knowledge. Now, when you were talking about, so yes, I had all of this knowledge about energy and energy healing, right? But what happened to me in that time was I realized my body in that injury had contracted around the pain, right? It had literally got smaller. I felt I'd got smaller in every way you can imagine during that time because everything was contracting. The pain was bad. It was really bad. And, And I'd contracted around it. And what I realized was you said the choice, you know, the choice to accept, right? And I talk about like the edge that I found myself at where everything felt uncertain, But for me, it came down to one simple thing. When I'm contracted, that feels like I'm heading towards like death (laughs) in a way. And in some ways that kind of is what you're doing because you're tightening your physical muscles at a cellular level and you're, you're giving your body the message viscerally that things are not okay. Right. So your body stops its normal flows of energy and tries to deal with whatever it is that's going on. But this is where your body physically gets stressed. And when your body's physically stressed, it's not in its best place to heal you. When you're open and relaxed and in flow in your body energetically, then that is the space where healing can occur. And for me, that became choosing life that feeling in my body became, I was choosing life. And I remember this, this time, it was late afternoon in a, in a, in a hospital bed where um, kind of, 
it was late afternoon. I was semi-conscious, I would say. And the doctors were in my room and they were talking to my husband at the bottom of the bed. And I could hear the mumbling, but I couldn't really hear what was going on. But I could read the energy, which was it wasn't good what they were saying. And I, I remember going inward and feeling into my cells and I could feel the light dimming in my cells. Now, I know that sounds weird, but as an energy healer, that's one of the things we learn. And so I could feel the lights in my cells just kind of dimming. And we now know actually that we do have photoelectric cells in our, in our cells that actually show the life energy in the cell. And so it was really interesting because I was making a choice. Did I want to live? Or did I, was I just going to surrender and succumb to whatever everybody else thought was going to happen? And I realized that, and I want people to hear this as well, because it's actually a hard thing to say. At the time, I didn't want to live for myself. I, the only people that I wanted to live for were my kids. I couldn't imagine my children not having their mom. I just couldn't. Or growing up, they were still very young, and I just couldn't imagine leaving them. So they became my reason. And I think we all need a reason to live. Mm -hmm. But what I've learned since that time is that wasn't just a one-off. Every morning when I wake up, I decide, am I going to choose life today or not? Because if I'm choosing life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for the flow in my life. What's more easy? What's more simple? What is life showing me? What, in the, what are the people and the context and the environments bringing to me that I need to take notice of? Not just what does Jane have planned for the day and what does Jane's head think she should be doing in any moment, but where's the life that's wanting me, that's pulling me? What is it that wants to be expressed through me today or right now in this moment? Because that for me is full acceptance. And I'm also learning there's an awful lot about this energy and life and acceptance that's got to do with leadership. Mm -hmm. And right now in the world, my world, we need more leaders. Mm. All of us. I think this is our time now to realize leadership is not just a position. It's time that we all take responsibility for ourselves and our life and just ask ourselves, are we going to choose life or not? You know, That's whatever your choice question. is, it's so important that you create that intention, that, 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 that kind of consciousness in your own life mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. you can decide for yourself what that means to you. And it actually makes, it helps to make easier decisions. You know, yeah. when you say I'm going to choose life, which means I'm going to be conscious of my words. Are they yeah. picking someone up or are they tearing them down? Are they giving yes. life to them or is it, you know, and, and it just makes it easier. I actually, we've talked about this so many times, um, but I started to plant the seed in Caleb at only 10 years old, <laughs> but leadership being a leader is not a job title. It is your presence in any room. Yeah. And what I started to tell him, I said, 
you know, there are some people who are followers. They just kind of go with whatever is happening and they don't really make decisions for themselves. And then there are people who are leaders who sometimes lead because they like that power. They like to be in control. They like to tell others what to do. And then right in the middle, you have the servant leaders. And I started to explain to him what it means to be a servant leader, how you listen to others, you consider them in decisions that, you know, you may be the one who's carrying the energy and shifting the energy in the room and and to be conscious of that, because it's not just about what you want, but it's about, you know, the, the good for all. And we are in a time right now where I think the world, uh, again, it doesn't have to just be in the workplace. We are looking for those servant leaders. We are looking for those people who are able to take a first step and help to guide the way and who will walk alongside you and put their arm around you and say, we've got this, right? And it's a huge shift that... I love that you have worked across international waters because uh, my experience is just from the United States. And I do think that in the United States, they, we felt a major shift, a huge shift during this pandemic um, to really call upon our people in the workplace to be more human. And that comes from a very deep place. It is not about what your job responsibilities are, or like I said, that title or whatever widget you're making, that is not what it's about. It is about how you are interacting with one another and connecting and helping one another, even if it is building a widget, but it's the connection piece. What is the biggest shift that you think has come from this time over this last year that is going to shape how we move forward? You know, it's interesting because I'm going to talk about something that I think is in the early stages of showing itself. (laughs) And I'm hoping that it continues to accelerate. And that is that this realization that I am responsible. And so that's a word that not many of us in the West really like or own. But I'm responsible for my life and for my work, and for my impact. And I think Can I say something right there? Yeah, go on. Yeah. That was the uh, thought that came to my mind when, your point earlier, you didn't want to live for yourself, but you couldn't imagine your kids not having their mom. That was it. the same thing for me. We had talked about this over lunch. Yeah. Um, It was the same thing. It's not that I wanted to live for myself, but I would not let that be Caleb's story that he lost both parents. But the thought that came in very clear was I have to take responsibility for my healing. Yes. That's it. Yeah. No, that is it. And, and I think I mean this at an extreme ownership level. So what I mean by that is, you know, um, and I see this through my client base, right? So I I do work with different levels of leaders as well, right up to the C-suite. And what I'm noticing is, you know, it's it's playing out through the, the new hybrid model that's emerging. Like people have been sent home, they've been working remotely. We've, you know, organizations have achieved so much during 2020, despite everything that was going on. 
And we now know we can do things that pre-pandemic we thought was impossible. Yeah. I've had clients that had like six-year plans to put something online and they managed to turn it around in like three months, six so months. I've had the same conversations right? with clients. Like, like, yes, it's like, what? It, how are we getting in our own way here? So the way that I think this responsibility is playing out now is not just from the top down. It's not just the C-suite that have the responsibility now. I think we're all realizing that we have a contribution to make where we choose to make it. And we want to make it in the way that feels resonant for us. And we want a more equitable, loving and yes. resonant world. We, we don't want to be a cog in a machine, a number on a payroll slip. That's not enough. We want a life with meaning. Now, all of us are free to choose what that meaning is. What is it that matters most to ourselves? We get to choose that. And some of us are coming back into work, emerging back into like office life and realizing, hang on, this doesn't work so well for me because I can't pick my kids up at four o'clock, mm -hmm. right? And I know the organizations that are going to continue to thrive because I've been having these conversations over the past few months are those ones that are open and willing to retain their best talent mm. no matter what it takes, mm. which means really embracing a more flexible hybrid model because work is not about place, it's about performance. It's about the contribution you make to that organization. It's about doing the job you're being paid to do, however you can make that happen. And so whatever know, ceiling you're sitting under. Yeah. <laughs> and I know. So the first thing is, if you're an employee, is realizing, oh, I actually have a choice here. Not doing this blind journey from school to college to, to work or from school to, to work or whatever it is. We're not just on this blind journey now that we're not questioning. We're going, actually, I've seen something else now. I've experienced something else. Why can't I have a piece of that in everyday life? So I don't think we're going back to normal. I think it's literally shifted everything. And I think the organizations and the leaders that don't embrace the, let's say, the, the needs, the desires, the wants of their employees, they're going to lose out massively. Because, you know, we we do have power as employees, even if and in the United States, employees have very little rights legally. You know, people can be fired on the spot in many states in the U.S. without any reason. Right. That was me. I was like, wait, what? I didn't right. even know that this was coming. I, I'm a top yeah. performer. What are you talking about? How is this possible? And it was just like, yeah. go. yeah just let go. Mm -hmm. So I think the psychological contract that organizations are having with employees is, has shifted. It's already shifted. Some are still in denial. It's already shifted. And I think we're slowly seeing this play out. But you see, it all comes down to me to this idea of responsibility. Because once you have an employee workforce that understands they're responsible for their own life, you get an employee workforce that starts to want different things and it's not going to settle for what, not going to sell their soul to an organization nope. that doesn't value them. 
They're now looking for meaning, meaning at work. Why can't we create work that, like you say, Karen, is 100% human? Why can't we do that? Why is there no humanity in business? Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not saying that there aren't exceptions. Of course there are. And thankfully, I'm so blessed some of them are clients. But what I want is it to be the other way around. Let's make the exceptions the horrible places to work. Mm -hmm. Let's get let's make them extinct like the dinosaurs and let's make work a part of life. Let's yeah. bring the life back into work so that if we choose life, we're not having to say no to a career or a job. We choose a career that fits in and aligns with that life choice. Yes, yes. Well, I think the biggest um, shift we will see. And actually there is a term for this on LinkedIn. I thought it was a great article, the great resignation, <laughs> right? There are going to be, as you just mentioned, uh, people. And I think a mass of people who realize what's important in life. And we, we all had that opportunity. We were given, you know, an abundance of time in these last 12 to 15 months to evaluate what is most important. And if employers and organizations and leaders do not create space for their people to live in their unique flow, they will be ones who are left behind. I think that we have, we started to see this, I would say maybe about 10 years ago, the shift in new workplaces and how they were treating their people, but the way they were expressing it, um, you know, was through fancy um, benefits like, oh, we have a yoga room here, or we have a snack station, or we have, so they were doing it in the workplace. Then they started to shift a little bit to, oh, we do have flexibility, you know, and, but it was a small population of these uh, organizations and companies that were doing this. Now, because this is life, with a major disruption, 87% of organizations were forced into remote working. And that last 13% were essential workers. This is what a recent study showed. So because of the challenge and the hardship, it abruptly changed everything, yeah. everything. And those folks who were ahead of the curve and they were offering, you know, more, um, benefits that were tied to the person and not just tied to the job, uh, that's going to be what is happening moving forward. Again, what flexibility are you offering people to work in a way that's best for them? That's one thing uh, that's going to support them as an individual and their family. That's going to be another thing. <laughs> and, and that really gives them that space to grow mm -hmm. all yeah. of that. If you have that combination, you will continue to thrive and you will attract the best talent because the best talent, they know <laughs> they're not just accepting anything. They know what is important and they will stand for that. And if they're willing to stand for that in their own life, imagine what they would stand for when they're moving your mission forward. You want those people. Yeah. So give them a place where they will thrive. Yeah. And I want to speak to something now that's not talked about a great deal. <laughs> Which yes, is, please. That's what we're here for. So I, I know organizations that have those flexible benefits and they stay in the HR department. Now, what I mean by that is they give lip service to it in the benefits and everything's there, but the culture of the organization is such that they're not allowed to take it. 
<laughs> right? So, so there true. are so there true. are vacations, there is flexible time, and there are things like, you know, I, I've got a friend who works in an organization here locally. And um, you know, he's 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 not uh blue collar, he's ju- he's just like manual labor. And um this organization expects him to work six days a week. Ooh. So the sixth day and these are like eight to 10 hour shifts. The sixth day, it is not. So it is optional from HR, but it's not optional because if you don't do it, you get fired. Not only that, a number of days, a number of weeks every month, one or two, they expect seven days a week because they're short staffed at the moment. Now, he feels he can't say no, or he would lose his job. Now, And I see this all the way through organizations. You know, some organizations give one week of holiday, two weeks of holiday, which quite honestly, as a European, is weird. I know. I was talking to a friend about that. How do you survive with just that? (laughs) Everywhere else in the world, they give ample time for time off. Machines. We are biological systems that need to rest and renew, right? That's what we need. It's not just what we want. But the amount of people I've met, the amount of leaders I've worked with that might go on holiday for a week and take their laptop with them and actually are not with their family at all. They're sat on a sun lounger with their laptop open. So they're not actually on holiday if they take the holiday at all. It's like a badge of honor. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you do not listen to your body, if you do not take the time to rest, you, your body will make you take the time. You will get an illness that will take you out. Something will happen. You cannot continue like this forever. You're not a machine. It's not sustainable. You need to recover. We need to know this and we need to embrace this as leaders of organizations. And we need to realize that the world of work and business that we have created and yes there are some elements of this I'm sure that we've unwittingly created but I think a lot of it has been in the pursuit of profit of more like we've got this capitalist economy that seems to ride on this culture of more 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 at any cost yeah well I think it's time now we come back to the human which is why I love your work Karen because it is about now bringing the humanity back into the workplace, but also into our lives, which might sound like a strange thing to say, but I know I've had times in my life as a parent where, you know, I've been trying to get the kids out to school because I've got to get to the clients and then I've got to go here and then I've got to go there. And then I get home and I pick them up and then I'm doing the dinner and then, you know, we've got to do bath time, then it's bedtime stories, then it's bed. And it's all like, moving so fast there's no time to just be mm-hmm. with my kids yeah. so I think it's spilled over into all kinds of life mm-hmm. and it's time we realize we're here for a very very short time mm-hmm. you know what are you and this lovely saying from Gandalf you know what are you going to do with the time that you've been given yeah. and he says that to Frodo and I don't think life gets any more complicated than that mm-hmm. what are you going to do with the time you've been given mm-hmm. and make sure it's something that's meaningful mm-hmm. to you because yeah. otherwise it's going to whiz by and you know you're just going to think well what was all that about yes. <laughs> so get yourself into your life claim it take responsibility mm-hmm. 
and create. I believe everybody listening to this has the power to create the life that they want. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy for everyone. We're all at different levels of access, uh, you know, to resources and different things that we need. But I do believe with persistence, it can be done. Now, I found myself in a place where everybody told me it couldn't be done, which is why, and I was lucky, I did have access to resources. I did have finances that could support me. But I actually believe the thing that mattered the most was my psychology. Mm, If I believed I was well, I could be well. If you believe it can happen for you, it will. If you believe it can't happen for you, it won't. Mm -hmm. Everything comes from belief. So believe in yourself. It's so important. Mm, I think that this is a great place for us to say, tune in next week. All right. So we are back with Jane, a very dear friend and mentor. And we talked in last episode about, you know, overcoming challenges and and really knowing who you are as a leader, because we're all leaders in the world and and how to take responsibility for that, which I think is a, uh, we talked about is a key word. You have to take responsibility, but in doing that and saying, I'm taking responsibility as I did early on for my healing, right? Okay. Am I going to focus on this tragedy, or am I going to focus on how I can rebuild my life? Because in your mind, you know, when you're wrestling with thoughts, your thought is a a focus point, right? It's an entry place for you to either take action or for you to think new thoughts, develop new beliefs. And so I say that to say, you can't focus on two things at once. You will always be wrestling back and forth and you'll feel crazy in your head. I have felt this. I'm ping-ponging back and forth between, do I rebuild my life or do I just sit here and eat Ben and Jerry's? What do I do? And so, (laughs) so just know that. And this is why I became obsessed with positive psychology and neuroscience and mindfulness is our thought life is powerful. It is powerful. Mm -hmm. Now, what broke me into, I think a new level of consciousness is I started to realize that there were some things that were deep down in my soul that I couldn't pinpoint yet, but I knew that they were stirring up for a reason right? Mm -hmm. So for me as a a believer, you know, I call this sometimes God or the Holy spirit. I know we have non-believers who aren't listening. Welcome. Right. So just know that I'm just talking about my personal experience. Jane will continue to open up this conversation for us. But for me, I really felt like my intuition was tied to um, God, because I do believe that we are all connected. My version of all of us being connected is through the creator, but whatever you believe, that's okay. Just know that if you do believe in any level of consciousness or awakening, it's because you believe that we are all connected through our soul, right? Would you agree with that, Jane, that we are all as humans connected with our soul? Yeah, I absolutely would. So then the question becomes, okay, if that is true, how can I tap into my soul? How can I explore this new area of consciousness for the common good? Because that's me, right? Like that's how I feel. I was able to say, okay, I I do see that if I become better, obviously I become a better mom for my son. I can become a better daughter, a better friend, but it actually, I realized, no, this impacts the world. And when I started to wrestle with that, I was like, oh, it's too big. No, 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 no. I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> and it was like, I don't know if I want to be conscious. <laughs> like, I just want to stay over oh, here. Yeah. And be ignorant. <laughs> and 
so for anyone who is starting to explore what it really means to open up, go deeper, what are some early steps you would give someone who is just starting to, you know, crack that open? Yeah. Well, the first thing to say is this is not woo-woo anymore. When I first started to learn about energy, it definitely was over there beyond the horizon in the woo-woo. We didn't have the scientific studies that we have now that actually back this up. And, you know, back in the like late 80s, 1980s and early 90s, which was when I was first learning about energy, we were in a Newtonian physics world, which meant that everything was solid and physical and that was what we kind of valued in our in our lives and our world. Whereas we now know that's that's it's not that it's untrue. It's just a very limited view of the world. So we now know that <clears throat> through quantum physics and all the research that's been done there, we are connected. It is a scientific fact that we are interconnected. And we're not only interconnected with all, all other humans at a soul level, but we're connected with every living being and every atom and element on this planet. We are part of an ecosystem here. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've been a little bit renegade in the past century or so, <laughs> doing yeah. things that only benefit humans and not really thinking about the cost on other forms of life. And I think it's time for us to stop that. But you asked a really big question, Karen. You asked, you know, how can people get in touch with that interconnected to then, you know, kind of, be part of contributing to the whole. Well, I think it starts in your own life first and understanding your own energy. And there's a very simple way of doing that because we're, as an energy field, we have kind of four different fields, if you like, that, are, that we can all kind of get a sense of. Our physical, emotional field is closest to our body. Then we go to our emotional energy field, which is the closest to our physical field, which means how we feel about things affects our, us physically. And then going out from that, we have our mental, our intellectual, our cognitive field. Um, and then beyond that, we have our spiritual field. Now, the spiritual field is actually where we start to feel interconnected, right? So, you know, we'll have a range of listeners listening to this. And depending on where you are in your life and what you do believe or don't believe will depend on kind of, you know, at what level of energy you're currently living your life at, because we all live on a very narrow band of energy. Now, a very easy thing for anyone to do, no matter where you are, is if you're facing a, a dilemma, let's say, like you were talking about, Karen, do I do this or do I do that, right? An easy thing to do is just ask your head to begin with, do I think I should do that or should I do this, okay? And your head will give you an answer, all right? Just write it down, okay? That's what my head wants me to do. Then bring your attention down to your heart, right? This is your emotional energy field now you're tapping into. What does your heart want you to do? What's your heart's response to this dilemma? And take notice and write it down. It might be the same as your head or it might be different, but it's just information right now. So we just write down what the heart wants and then pull your attention down to your soul and down in your gut, it's just underneath your navel. It's called the, the Hara Center, the Japanese call it, or the Chi in Chinese. And this is, this is kind of the, Gary Zukav coined it, the seat of the soul. So pull your attention down there 
and ask yourself the same question. What does my soul want me to do in this situation? And just write down again, whatever it is that bubbles up. And now you've got some information that creates more of a holistic approach to what you want to do than just what your head does. Because the amount of people I meet in the West that is really, you know, the only reason their body's there is to take their head to meetings or to travel around the world, their head around the world. You know, we don't just want to be connecting at cognitive levels now. We want to be like the whole of you needs mm -hmm. to show up. So bring the whole of you into your life. And it's really interesting what comes out because I've done this very simple exercise with big audiences, with, with people, you know, clients in one-on-one -on -one meetings. And often we find, and I'll ask a question as well, like once you get your decision, how committed is your head? Give yourself a number from zero to 10. How committed is your heart? Give yourself a number from zero to 10. Your soul, number from zero to 10. And now you've got some information about how willing you are to move forward with your decision mm -hmm. and also why and what, and it might change your outcome. But here's the thing, right? Most of us are not whole in our lives, but energetically, this gives us the access point, if you like, to start thinking of ourselves energetically as a physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual being who are we, right? Now, that question can take a lifetime to answer, but I think a more important question is who do we want to become? Because yeah. that opens up the flow again. It opens you up to life, like we were talking about last time. And it also means that you're willing to be changed by life. Yes. You're Jane, willing to move up and down in consciousness. And once you learn more about energy and consciousness, you'll start to recognize people coming into your lives and what energy level they're at. Yeah. And you can meet them where they are because it's not about getting to the spiritual levels and, you know, being really mindful and going and retreating to India and sitting under a Bodhi tree. That's not what this is. But it is about getting out of survival at the very lower levels of energy, because that's a painful place to live your life. Yes. Right. What we all need is the flexibility to move around the different levels of consciousness, something I call full spectrum resonance, because when you can do that, you can meet the most the biggest conflict, the person who is the opposite in energy to you, which always feels very funky and dissonant. And you can flow with them. You yes. can flow into any situation that life brings your way. And you can stay calm and conscious and intentional in how you react and respond. Intentional. Intentional. That is a key yeah. word here. Now, that's what I think being conscious. I think that's the gift is it yeah. gives you the gift of intentionality because when you are conscious, you are not making it a, a snap decision from an emotional state. You know, right. you are not reacting to whatever just happened. You know, you are thinking through, you are feeling through and making an intentional choice that will serve again, you or the common good. Oh my gosh. You said so many things, but I was like, <laughs> don't interrupt. Don't interrupt. Um, <laughs> what, what I found is the flow. You say this a lot, you know, that I say this a lot that 
being conscious actually helped me to get into flow, helped me to get into alignment. I remember I was struggling with my, my company name used to be the grief consultant. It was like three other things before that, but, um, and it didn't feel right. And I knew it didn't feel right, but I didn't know what I should call my, my company. Now, mind you, everyone just knows me for my name. If they're hiring me, they're hiring me, you know, Karen Allen, but, uh, just having the LLC, even the, the business name being in alignment was important to me. So I was thinking about it. I was wrestling with it and I was lying on the floor. (laughs) I remember this so well. And I just said, Karen, at the very core of your business, no matter how this shows up, if it's through an ebook or you're on stage, what is your goal for every person who interacts with any piece of your work? And these two words came, I want them to learn how to grow with the flow. And I called my, now my company name is the grow flow because Mm -hmm. that is the goal. The goal. I think we grow with life, every challenge It could completely disrupt you and knock you off course, but do you get back on course? Because Mm -hmm. if you do, if you learn through that challenge, that is growth, right? It's not Mm -hmm. win or lose, it's win or learn. And the more you do that and the more you explore, okay, who am I? Who do I want to be? You actually find that your unique being is serving a purpose in this world. It could be as, you know, this isn't small, but it could be, uh, creating crafts for mothers, you know, and people are gifting that to someone and, and your handmade craft is now a ripple effect in the world, creating more good. Right. But you found that because you were like, Oh, I I love creating. Oh, what do I want to do? Where do I? And so when you tune into that, even your work can become the flow that is sending out energy in this world. And I think that Mm. that's so powerful. We can't just do work just to get a check. If you do work that is in alignment with your flow, it is going to serve you and others. And nothing is too small with that. Oh, I love that. Can I expand on it a little bit? (laughs) So as you were talking, I was like, oh, yes, you know, it it is. Alignment is so very important. And I want to break that down a little bit so people can have the language to understand what we're talking about. And really to prove it's also not woo-woo as well in a little way. But um, so, you know, Karen, I work a lot with this body of work now that I've developed called Resonance, right? But it's really about personal integrity. That's what energetic integrity is. It's resonance. And it's so important in life, right? In all parts of life. And I can talk about it really simply because there's really four distinct like milestones, if you like, on the journey towards your own resonance in life. And it starts internally, just like you talked about when you said intention, I was like, yeah, because what intention is really that what precedes attention is awareness. What are you aware of, right? And how can you be aware of a little bit more? That's all we're asking here. Just like 1% more each day, because whatever you're aware of shapes your life, right? Absolutely shapes your life. So really becoming aware of yourself at an energetic level expands your perception of who you are and who you're being in the world. You're not just a physical entity. You're actually interconnected in ways we don't fully understand yet, but we do have science backing it all up right now. 
So this is truth, right? We are interconnected. But what are you aware of? That's really important. Secondly, what you were talking about, Karen, there is in the alignment phase. That's step number two. Am I being, so if I'm aware of these things, am I being authentic and living into what matters most to me, right? Because therefore, what I'm really saying there is, am I living my life, the life I want to be living? Am I doing that? Because these two things are internal resonance. And this is the way, this is how you shape how you show up to life. This is your presence, whether it's an executive presence or just a presence, this is what it is. This is what creates that presence, mm-hmm. knowing and having clarity around that. But st- even though you've got clarity, still being open to allowing life and people and things to shape and change you. And I just want to give evolution. whoever needs to hear this permission to say, you can ask yourself, am I living the life that I want to live? Yeah. Please know that you should be asking yourself that and then making changes to actually live the life you want to live. I know there are a lot of people that are kind of stuck with that. I was for a long time. So just know Jane and Karen are giving you permission (laughs) to live the life you want to live. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Okay. So that's the internal piece and everything Like I'm now three decades into working with people in change and transformation. And I know that nothing happens until it comes from an internal space. You can't have something imposed on you from externally and have sustainable change. It doesn't work. It can work in the short term for a short period of time, but then people are bounced back to what is internally set up inside of them. So that's where work that's out of alignment doesn't work because the next piece now from awareness, step one, alignment, step two, step three becomes attunement. How are you now attuning to the external world, whether that's a relationship with a person, whether it's with a team, whether it's with your career, your business, your work, your leadership, whatever it is, it's external to you. How are you attuning to that? And this is our ability to live and resonate, connect with our external environment. So how well is that going for you? And what do you need to do to get more in flow in that external environment, that external space? And remember, that's always changing as we move through life. We're in different environments and situations with different people. So that's where the agility through your energy really comes into play. And then finally, and I think it's probably the most important step is the the final one of integration. How are you living now all this awareness you have in both your internal and your external environments? And how are you really showing up present, agile and responsive in your energy so that you are truly living your life, Mm -hmm. not that your life is living you? (laughs) Do you see what I mean? So that you are kind of doing your work not that your work is doing you. It puts you back in the driving seat of your life. And this is what resonance is all about. And I've come to this conclusion that as humans over the past century, we've made the world really quite dissonant. We've almost done the opposite in a way because we thought we could control everyone and everything. And of course we can't. We need to live within the environment. We need to resonate. We need to learn to live and resonate with all living things and the planet that we live within. Because without it, not one single one of us can survive. And if you think money and profit is more important than the air that you breathe, 
try holding your breath and counting your money because it just doesn't work. Yeah. The air that we breathe is essential. Money. And most people thinking this will go, oh, no, this is not true. Money is just a human construct. We shouldn't put it on a pedestal up there. There are so many other things that can give us a quality of life. And previous to the previous century, we worked very well, really, without money controlling our economy. Right. (laughs) So we can survive for centuries. Mm -hmm. But I'm not suggesting we get rid of it. But how do we live with it in a more resonant way? And how do we remember the things that are really important to us as individuals, but also as as a collective, as humanity on the planet, who do we want to become? I think that's so important. So important. Speaking of flow and money, early on, as an entrepreneur, anyone who's a business owner knows it is hard. Okay. It's like eating glass. Like, why do I keep doing this? I don't know. Just, But you have to be in business for the right reasons. When yeah. I decided I was going to be an entrepreneur, I said to myself, because I want to give, um, I want to have the freedom and flexibility to always put Caleb first. That was my why corporate America is not very <laughs> welcoming to single parents. And I, I knew right. that I learned that lesson. So a couple of years into, you know, being an entrepreneur, I wasn't making the money that I had hoped. There was no stability there. Uh, and I was struggling, you know, I was doing several consulting jobs just to continue to provide. And I could feel my energy closing in and not being open to what I still needed to learn, which was actually going to be also my gift through my business, through people that I, you know, coach or speak in front of audiences. I was actually living the content, but because I was so focused on not having a steady flow of money, I was closing myself off from seeing the value of what I was living through. So I finally got to this point. It's like when you start to become conscious, like you're in for a ride because levels and layers just start coming off. Right. (laughs) So, so I realized it was this moment of probably through tears that, uh, I had gotten away from why I was an entrepreneur. Yeah. I was measuring my success by the lack of money in my bank account right? and, and felt completely discouraged. And I was just, I was beating myself up, right? Am I making the right decision? And then I paused and I said, now, wait a second. When I realized, you know, no, I'm here because I want to have the freedom to be there for Caleb. I want to not feel the stress from someone else, what they're projecting on me and my responsibilities. And I don't want that to pour into my home with Caleb. I want to be able to protect and create healthy boundaries around my work. And I, you know, reevaluated, does he feel loved? Does he feel safe? Does he have everything that he needs? I mean, at that point, I couldn't even sign him up for extracurricular activities. I was waiting until his pajamas were too small before I purchased something else. I did not buy myself. I wouldn't even buy myself vitamins for years because everything was about putting first for Caleb, putting first. And so when I evaluated, you know, does he have everything that he needs, even if it doesn't look how I imagined it would be, you know, perfectly put together. Do we have a loving, healthy, safe environment? We do. 
And that changed everything. I mean, Jane, it was like, Mm -hmm. I let go of that last layer of scarcity and was able to step fully. And from that point, everything in my business changed. Now I'm not saying all of a sudden it was this like waterfall of money, but I was positioning myself better for opportunities. I was more, um, you know, conscious of those opportunities that were coming through or the people who I was meeting. And it was just like Mm -hmm. this flow. So then fast forward a couple of years, and I know this is someone's journey. So, so I'm just saying this as a testimony that's to stick with it. I just know that interrupt you quickly. I just want to say something very short. It's not just someone's journey. It's most people's journey. That is true. That (laughs) is true. That is true. And so as I started to live and work from this new space of consciousness, that money was not my success, that the the lifestyle is how I could measure my success. And man, I just felt my energy completely shifted. So then fast forward a few years and I am in a a flow where I'm getting consistent gigs, where I do have consistent uh, private coaching clients. And I am getting what I was describing to my family as I I feel like I'm finally getting my legs back under me. Mm. And I needed to invest in a freelancer to help me do some work. Now (laughs) I have been burnt by freelancers before who promised and never did. So (laughs) I started to, I remember my mindset was I'll do everything myself. I'll build my own website. I'll create my own marketing tools. But with this new level of consciousness, I realized, no, 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 money flows through me. And if I expect other people to invest in me for what they're going to learn or the experience they're going to have, or whatever it may be, then I should be willing to invest in others and their talents and their gifts. And I saw, it's almost like internally, how you said you, in the last episode, you could see your cells, you know, dimming. I could see again, the layers, a uh, new layers of scarcity falling off. I could see, like I was breaking through with abundance because it wasn't how the money was serving me and my life. It was how it was also pouring into others yeah. and that, oh my gosh, it just, it just feels so freeing to not have your success tied to money, but really thinking about the quality of your life and how you are using your money and being a good steward of it to help others. Yeah. Oh, I mean, when you were speaking there, I was like, what you go, what you went through is what most of us go through when we're starting a business. Mm -hmm. We have like everyone I've worked with, I think as a client, and I, I would say everyone has a really good intention. They want to create some meaningful impact in the world. Right. And then they know they don't know about business. So they turn to business training in one form or another. And this is true across most of the Western world, I would say. And even I would say as far as the East as well. And and what happens is then it's almost like the business training paradigm hasn't yet caught up. It's still mired in the 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 muddy waters of, say, you know, before, I would say before 2000, the 1990s, where it was all about profit. There's a lot of training still. There's a lot of gurus still that are teaching the old ways that quite frankly, just don't work today. Right. And so what we do is we get into this space where we think we should be doing X, Y, Z. So we come away from what feels good to us as humans. And we do this this thing, we create this, this worker bee that then 
consumes everything and tries to kind of curate it and, 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 and move it back out again. And it doesn't work because it doesn't resonate for us. Right. We've got, we, it's like we lose ourselves in that relationship with our business or our career. And we become this machine, this robot that just spits out what we think we should be doing. And then we can't wait to get home and watch Netflix at night, right? Yeah. So it's like, what kind of a life is that? You don't need to spend decades doing that. So you have to be really mindful, I think, about who you learn from and where you learn, because I'm, I'm gonna tell you now, I'm gonna make a prediction in this next decade, you're going to see everything change because now we're not willing to do that anymore. Like we've talked about, and now we're realizing that what we've been teaching is not wrong. It's just like the quantum physics thing. It's very limited. And there is so much more potential we have as humans. There is so much more of a positive impact we can have in our life by doing just what you say, Karen, which is creating that intention for myself in my life that like I want to do good and I want to do good wherever I am with yes. whoever I find myself with I might be at the checkout at Walmart yeah. and yes I'm in front of one of those people who sold their soul to the corporation and they're on a checkout at Walmart and they're packing my bags and they don't look up and they've got that blank expression on their face but I can turn to them and I can say thank you you know, thank you for helping me. How's your day? When does your shift finish? I can just connect yeah. in a very human way and show that I appreciate what they're doing for me. I can't tell you how many times they're surprised when you do that. And I, I always know. say their name. I look at their, I'm like, oh, thank you, Hannah. And they're like, oh, you spoke to me. <laughs> like, yes. I know. But this is how we create a different energy in the world. Yeah. This is how we really start to realize, and I don't know what it is. It's like we've done a number on our, ourselves because I was reading a book and uh, gosh, I can't remember the book, but it opens with this little scenario. And it says, imagine you're on a plane and um, the plane is going down, right? It's going down and uh, it's landed on water and everybody's got to get out. This is an emergency evacuation. Now, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think everybody's going to be like, it's going to be like a riot and chaos and everybody's going to be like going over each other, every man for himself trying to get out the door and you're never going to be able to get there because everybody's fighting to get to the door? Or do you think it's going to be very calm and orderly and, you know, people are going to be helping each other and holding hands and really trying to get all of the people out of the plane? Which world do you think you live in? 98% mm. of people think they live in the first plane where everybody is fighting for survival. And the truth is we have the science and the research to back it up because we've had plane crashes where this has happened. That is not the truth. The world we live in is scenario B where everybody helps themselves. And I mean, we've heard stories from like 9-11 and different things where everybody was orderly coming down all the stairs, even though the buildings were on fire, mm -hmm. right? And this is this whole thing that we see when there are tragedies like COVID. I mean, in the UK, for weeks, for months, they had people coming outside banging pans just to say thank you to health people, yeah. right? So to the health workers. And then we have the frontline workers. And so we come together in times of crisis. But the reality is we come together anyway. 
We just don't choose to pay attention to it. The world we live in is this one, yet our marketeers want us to think we live in another world. And because marketing is so prevalent, we think we're less than. We think we have to compete. We think it's survival of the fittest, and it's not. So if you believe you live in this world, you're going to behave in certain ways that mean you have to compete, you have to survive, it's really hard. But if you live in this world, <clears throat> the plane B, now you've got more freedom. You don't have to fight to survive, you can ask for help. And you can help and inspire other people because the truth is, we're all in this together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, really what are you going to choose which is the world you're going to intentionally choose to live in plane a or plane b because it will make a huge difference in your life and how you show up and how you show up yeah yeah we talked a lot about consciousness in you know in work um and in our our contribution to the world but how can we i'd love for us to talk about this as we kind of start to wrap the show is how can we consciously contribute to change? You know, I don't think there's a simple answer to that question. And actually, that is a question. There are some questions for me that I think there are answers that we can share. And there are some that I think I would turn to you and I'd say, quite honestly, I don't know. I don't even know for myself. Never mind for anybody else, because it's a question I need to live into. And what I mean by that is we're very quick in our culture to try to have answers to things. And we want simple, easy answers because that's kind of what we're taught in school. Here's a workbook. You know, here's a question. There's one answer. There's a right or wrong. That's not what life is like. So I think there are some questions like this one that we all need to hold in our own energy and live into. And that would be my request for everybody listening is, what does that mean to you? Because I could give you some answer that's meaningful to me, but it doesn't mean it's gonna be meaningful to you. And underneath all of this is this idea that there are lots of people, trusted authorities, gurus in the world. And I'm gonna bring us full circle back to where we started. I had a doctor in my life that thought I was going to die. And if I'd, if I'd given my, the responsibility for my healing over to that doctor, I wouldn't be here today. I really believe that. I wouldn't be here today. If we give our responsibility for answering that question to other people, I don't think we'll be here in a century's time. I think we all have to work out what it means for ourselves, because it's time for us to all realize this is an important question for us to live with. Don't just listen to gurus. Don't just listen to me or Karen or anybody else for that matter. Yeah. Take what you've heard and work out what resonates for you and then work out what it means for you in your life and then work out how you can live into it because that is really your path and it's your path and your life that you need to embrace because only through you doing that will we as a human race be able to embrace what matters most but it starts with you internally so I'm actually going to say I don't know yeah and that's okay man (laughs) 
I was so high. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you all caught this and, and I'm leaving it. We're not editing this out. I asked Jane the question and you can't see her, but I, I'm looking at her beautiful face and, but I know that you heard this, which is why I'm not going to edit it out. Jane paused and took a deep breath and went inward. And the answer that came out was not a cut and dry. Here's the three steps for conscious change. It was a true authentic answer that I hope landed with your soul as much as it did with mine. So Jane, thank you so much for being with us again. I love every single time. I'm very fortunate to be able to uh, meet with you on a regular basis. You are a a consistent light in my life. And I'm just so grateful that we can now share uh, this with the audience. So thank you so much. And thank you. Hey there, just checking back in at the end of that dialogue. Now, I know it was longer than our normal podcast, but I hope you got some insights from our conversation. And that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I do want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us to make a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, you'll need to understand how to build a business that works today. So check out Coaches Business School's unique frameworks and methods to help you grow your business in a way that works for you and your clients and helps make a meaningful difference in our world. Hashtag transition team. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time. Lots of love.